0: This episode of Kidlit These Days is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's service for tailored book recommendations, now available as a gift. Is your favorite book lover hard to shop for? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or a year-long subscription, and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $15, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine. So when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie, too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today. That's mytbr.co forward slash gift. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Kid Lit These Days, a book riot podcast. At Kid Lit These Days, we are your kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, alongside Nicole Young, and we're here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We're recording on June 7, 2020. Nicole, how are you?
1: I am doing as well as I can be, Matthew. How are you?
0: I'm all right. I can't stop thinking about you telling me about a tank driving down the (laughs) road.
1: It was wild. That
0: has been on my mind.
1: It was last Sunday. I was protesting in Philly and it was broad daylight and we a tank just started rolling down the street uh, towards us uh, boxing us the protesters in. And I went to a protest yesterday which was incredible. It was like almost it must have been over 5,000 people in Philadelphia that were out um, and there were also National Guardsmen strapped with ARS um, and you know automatic rifles and yeah it's pretty incredible and scary and sad that this is where we are always as a country, but in particular right now in 2020, <laughs> you yeah.
0: I hey, guess what happened this week, a little outside my neighborhood, the president got his street renamed when they painted yeah, on a I two saw that. block length of streets sanctioned by the, the mayor black lives matter in bright yellow paint we had a conversation about it with our ten-year-old and our five-year-old at dinner. What it means to have those letters on the ground. What it means to be out protesting and what Black Lives Matter means. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been a week.
1: It has. Um, and you and I were talking before this, right? There's this. Uh this feeling. (laughs) Yeah, we
0: were for a full 30 minutes. We we were talking before this, you and I have a lot to talk about,
1: (laughs) but there's like, there's this, this, this tension, right. Between the, it's great that people are aware in this moment that this is happening. Right. And then there's this consciousness as a black person, um, that this is a centuries old struggle that has seen yet another iteration in the modern day. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard to navigate that like feeling of like, yes, I'm glad you're all here now. I'm glad you've arrived. Um, But then also, Mm -hmm. also just knowing that this has been our lived experience in this country and not just in this country, in this world. um, I think one of the things that's most amazing to me right now is that we're having this global moment of Black Lives Matter And I think it's shining a light on, first of all, how many black people exist in countries around the world, but then also this understanding of how black people, African descendant people, darker skinned people across the globe have been disenfranchised for centuries. I mean, I I was seeing today in London, um, these protesters in Brixton in London uh, or it was at Brixton or Bristol in London, they took down a statue of a slaveholder and threw it into the river, right? Um, so hmm. There's like a, I think there's something also magnificent about the Black Lives Matter protests, um, inspiring black activists around the world to rise up. Um, yeah.
0: I've seen video of protests in japan Mm -hmm. and in germany and in places where i'm like you are holding protests for black lives matter Mm -hmm. and it was i don't know if the word was humbling but it made me feel small in a powerful way to know that the world has has come to a collective awareness to stand in intolerance of police brutality. It's very powerful. I've also seen, and we're going to get into this, um, from from members of my family, I'll just say it that way, um, shared articles that are lies Mm. about uh, their doctored photos of criticizing the protesters, claiming Um, vandalism on national statues and park sites and things like that 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 are not happening. But these articles are being shared because of their shock value, and that leads more to reinforce lies and to take people's focus away from the truth. And um, that's been really hard, too, to reconcile both sides of what's going on
1: hmm. And it's like a symptom of this. <laughs> I mean, for, you know, also centuries long, but really acutely in the past, what, three or four years in the US, this like war on truth that we're having right now. Right. <laughs> it's like, I feel like the war on truth is like, is it also is emerging in this moment around as we're uprising against police brutality. It's like, yeah, I don't want to believe that this is real. So I will create an alternate truth, quote unquote, um, that I will share with my family members. It sounds like,
0: yeah. Yeah. So today our topic is Mm anti-racism, how to be an anti-racist. We're going to break down what that means. We're going to talk about how we can do the work, where we can find the resources. And we have some good books to share along with that always. But could you share our first sponsor and then we'll, We'll start breaking things down?
1: Sure. Uh this episode is sponsored by Lost Beast Found Friend from Oni Press. Keely is a brave young girl who discovers a purple, fuzzy, funny beast. Together, the two must make their way across this fantastic land to return Beast to his home. Lost Beast Found Friend transports readers to a lush tropical world for a touching tale of friendship and fun that children will want to revisit again and again. This rhyming children's book is the debut of painter Nick Kennedy and comics writer Josh Trujillo from Dodge City. Find the charming and vi- vibrant Lost Beast found friend on shelves now.
0: Thanks. I always think about <laughs> when we have these moments of, of levity in between what is and has been for a very long time, hard, hard conversations, hard history to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And it's not lost on me the importance of doing the work, but also the importance of, of finding where the light is shining through, finding how we can connect to stories and then use those connections to tell our own stories.
1: Mm-hmm. We can't fight if we can't laugh, right? Like there's just no, you can't sustain the fight if there's no laughter and joy and light to your point coming through. I So this week for me, there was this uh, like a a very fluffy like news piece about this beautiful nine-year-old girl who had grown a giant cabbage that was 31 pounds. And Matthew, it brought me so much joy. I was like, "Go ahead, baby, grow your cabbage, right? Like and she she was very proud of her cabbage, and she said, "I did not let the coronavirus stop me from growing the cabbage." And I was like, "That's right, you didn't. That's right.
0: <laughs> that's that's amazing.
1: <laughs> she was my joy this week.
0: i I love that. my My lightness has been my daughter watching over virtual school. Their butterflies emerging from the cocoons, from the chrysalis. She's just been to see the way that she talks to her teacher through the screen when her teacher asks, Do you remember how many butterflies had come out of their chrysalis yesterday? Can you think of how many might be it was just like and she's talking to an iPad like this is <laughs> I see this. I see this child and I see I see how hard our teachers are working
1: mm. yeah I love it. I remember so, when we grew we mm. grew butterflies in my school. It's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful experience so yes
0: it's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. and hey, Nicole, you and I were talking. Prior to recording, about getting a working definition of anti-racism, do you want to take a crack at it? I yeah, it and I don't like know you, that you, mine's
1: the best. I don't know it's the best, but this is what I think is my my thought, and like somewhat informed by scholars who are talking about what anti-racism is. But so I think it's it's just not enough to teach our children how to be tolerant or accepting or even not racist, right? And it's it's pivotal a uh, pivotal if we want them to understand that black lives matter. And if we want them to understand that black trans lives matter, that we have to, if we want to end repressive policing, and if we want to build a world that loves and honors black life, that we teach our children, all of them, how to be anti-racist. And so for me, anti-racism is not grounded in guilt or sadness, but in a deep conviction that our, all of our societal systems, and you and I talked about this, right? It's like not just one system. It's not just policing. It's the education system and the healthcare system. All of these systems, right, were built um, and designed really to harm Black people. And that in order to rectify that harm, we have to tear those systems down, right? And so anti-racism is, is the action, the active work of dismantling these systems that are bringing harm to black people both in America and and clearly globally, right? That's right. my working in,
0: definition. In How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi, he writes that all actions are either racist or anti-racist. That there's not there's not an in between. That your your actions are either upholding these these racist systems, prejudice systems or they are dismantling them. Your language is either upholding it or dismantling it, and people go between the two all the time. Mm-hmm. You cannot be... There's, there's, no, there's no person that is fully anti-racist. There are people that are continuing to examine how their actions are racist, and they are working to turn them anti-racist.
1: Yeah, and I think I love, again, that focus on action, because I think we're seeing now... And you and I talked about this a little bit at the beginning. There are all these companies and celebrities and famous people coming out with their, you know, Black Lives Matter statements, right? And then I've seen in Twitter and a lot of other social media platforms, people push back and talk about how their actions, right, have not actually been anti-racist, right? Like, you can't if you're in the publishing world and you're talking about, I I care about being anti-racist, I care about Black Lives, Black Lives Matter... But you are, for instance, paying your authors disproportionately, right, across race. If N.K. Jemison is getting an advance for some of the best work that's ever been written, right, that is a third of what a white author is getting, right, you are not living out this practice of anti-racism. And so anti-racism is thinking about how the things that we do every day and the actions that we take every day affect the lives of the people around us and do or don't dismantle the systems that oppress black people in America. Um,
0: so yeah. There is a lot of work to be done, but there are also a lot of people rallying for black lives. This is a time where we are uh in the in the mid or in the middle, I would say in the midst. We're in the middle of of Pride month. Mm-hmm. We are at a time when we're seeing still police brutality against Indigenous people uh, disproportionately against Hispanic individuals Latinx individuals this is this is a time that we are focusing on black lives but the work of anti- racism is 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 across the board is is bigger than everything but it is it is right now in taking this time to step aside and recognize that there is a lot of damage being done and not a lot of repair being done. So I want to tell you about um, something that I attended this week that was really uh, a wonderful, beautiful affirmation of what is going on in children's literature and where there is a lot of work to be done. Um, But hosted by the Brown Bookshelf um, was a a hashtag kidlit community rally for black lives yeah. and um they've posted it now to youtube so you can watch it and um voices uh including kwame alexander and jacqueline woodson and ka holt um and linda Sue park and jean Lung yang and, and and many 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 other people uh, were joining their voices first to speak to children and then to speak to adults, parents, teachers. And um, I encourage everyone to not only watch that video that we'll link in the show notes, but also to share that video and to have conversation around that video. I think that white people in particular are trying to figure out what to do now. That was sort of what was on my mind going into this conversation, wasn't it, that we were talking about mm-hmm. that that white people are trying to figure out what to do, to buy books about anti racism, to post things on social media, to join protests. There's lots of there's lots of intention going around, and lots of action, and trying to find their way in. In what I will say is new territory i think for for a lot of white people in particular and so i think that one of the best things that white people can do for one another is to continue to share resources to center black voices and black stories um and to challenge the systems that they're working in whether that be the library that they are uh, overseeing or their classrooms or their school or their social media friends or any number of things. I think there's a lot of ways that we can step into this and engage in this. And a lot of the books we're going to talk about today very well might be sold out on wherever you buy your books. Mm -hmm. But there is still (laughs) there are still resources that you can access to do the work while you wait for your book to come back into print. Or you can buy the book on ebook or on audiobook. And also listen to podcasts and or read articles. It, yeah. Or
1: buy it from yeah. your local black bookstore. So I have a list that I'm going to include in our Wonderful. show notes of uh, black bookstores across the country. I think one important way to disrupt um, a system that disenfranchises black people in every way is to invest in black businesses. So... They might be. You may not get your books in two days like you do on Amazon, and that's okay. You should invest in black black owned businesses and black communities through these types of by supporting these these um, small stores. So we'll share that in the show notes.
0: You know, I had some cynicism about um, the list that were being passed around, or or any list, I guess, that are being passed around with people saying. Um, with white people in particular saying, here's a list of Black-owned businesses. We should all shop from these. And I thought, why weren't you doing this before? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I thought, I wonder how often any of us, especially if we're not going physically into a store, how many of us are ever thinking about who owns these businesses and what it means for us to put our money into these businesses. And I thought, well, maybe then this is a time where folks can be more, intentionable, more intentional about how they spend their money and more aware of where that money is going and who it's supporting by supporting that business. So that's a good thing that we're becoming more aware. I hope folks are becoming more aware of, of Black-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses. And certainly you sharing um, this, this um, bookshop list is going to be uh, really important for a lot of folks to notice. And they're going to see My friend Kathy Burnett's Brain Layer Bookstore on there, which um, makes me think, too, that we're not only supporting businesses, we are supporting friends and members of our community.
1: But I think that, so back to your point about, like, awareness now, right? Like, that's the thing that I know that Black people are always talking about. Like, how can I support a Black-owned business in this, right? Like, when... When I used to live in New Orleans, um, people would come to town for Essence and there was like a list that would always cir- circulate about what restaurants were Black-owned restaurants, right? Because it's like, you're bringing all this money into the city and by and large, Black vendors are not going to have access to that capital, right? Unless we are intentional about sending money in business their way. Um, and so I think it's an important thing. And I think part of the reason why Black people, and I know people of color, thinking about it more often is because we are in community with those people right and so we want to support those businesses we want to see that money flow back into what we view as our community and so i think an important thing like you said you're supporting your friends but i think it's also an important shift for white people non-black people right to view black business owners as their community too right like if black lives matter then black businesses matter and it's important to invest in black communities right so
0: yeah yeah And I think it's also important to emphasize that this information is information that is public, that we white people can go find ourselves, that we do not need to go and burden our black friends by asking, can you show me what stores I should be shopping at? Can you show me where I should be going, how I should be spending my money? Can you tell me what protests I should be going to or how I can help or tell me about what pain I've I've caused or whatever, any number of things that put burden on people of color.
1: Amen. (laughs) That we can
0: be doing that work and we should be doing that work. So maybe that's part of where my, um, where these feelings that I'm working on processing are coming from is that I think it is on us to be doing the work. And sometimes doing the work means generating our own list or finding and and uh, amplifying a list of black owned businesses or of of books that we should be buying or any any number of different things that that we can can use our platforms to amplify and our connections with other white people in white communities to bring more awareness to I think about Performative allyship, right? Mm-hmm. But how it looks a little different when white people are performing their allyship in front of other white people to help bring other white people along. Mm-hmm. So, this is a complex topic. This is not going to be easy. And <laughs> you and I are going all over the place. <laughs> but I think, does that not speak to the nature of what we're talking about? Yeah.
1: It's an overarching, I mean, we talked about this at the beginning, and I think that is the conversation that is happening right now in a broader societal context. Black people, brown people, people of color have been having these conversations in silos, both as scholars in silos, both as individuals in silos, communities in silos from white people for a very long time is this idea that these systems are designed, they are designed to disadvantage and harm and oftentimes kill black people. And, um, and I think that part of the reason why this conversation feels like it's all over the place is because it's not just one thing. It is everything. Um, and we have to be intentional, like being anti-racist is being intentional about combating those systems and those things that are, are, we have accepted as truth or fact or the way, just the way it is, like, those things are no longer the way it is. I mean, the conversation we're having about policing right now, right, is that conversation. It's like, do we actually have to be policed this way? Right? Like, we've always said that this is what must exist in order for us to feel safe. And there's a conversation about there have been, since policing began in this country, every last black person has not felt safer because it exists, right? <laughs> and in fact, we have ter- been terrorized by this system of policing from its inception, and so it's a conversation about, like, do we have to do it this way? And and if we don't have to do it this way, what can I do to do the opposite of whatever this thing is, this repressive system is? So, yeah, it's wide-reaching because it's everything.
0: Yeah. It's mm. wide-reaching because it's everything. <laughs> Thank you. That's, what? yeah. <laughs> you know, we wanted to call this uh, episode the anti-racist playlist and then found ourselves ironically sitting without any music to play (laughs) but I feel like all these resources that are circulating or that we're mentioning all these ideas all these different directions all these different tracks that you can repeat to do this work I feel like in some abstract way we're kind of building that playlist aren't we I think we are we're gonna get to my favorite part of that playlist which is those books that are going to be played mm-hmm. but first we have a sponsor to share so this episode of kid Lit these days is sponsored by bella's story by w bruce cameron even though bella has to hide from the neighbors and learn boring games like no barks and go home she loves her boy lucas then one day bella is picked up by animal control and lucas is forced to send her to a foster home far away Bella waits and waits for Lucas to come and get her, but days go by and he does not come. Finally, Bella realizes what she needs to do. She needs to go home to Lucas, and even 400 miles of dangerous Colorado wilderness won't get in her way. It's a heartening story about a brave puppy's journey to reunite with the boy she loves. It's got a hopeful message about overcoming seemingly impossible obstacles, and it's inspired... By the new york times and usa today best-selling novel a dog's way home by w bruce cameron bella's story is available now a heartwarming addition to the puppy tales a series for all dog and animal lovers well now we have arrived at our book talk segment that time where we provide you with a list of books to inspire to engage you in our topic you can find all of the books we mentioned today in our show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. Find this episode of Kid Lit These Days, episode number 31. You can find and share your own book suggestions using hashtag Kid These Days on social media, or of course, email us at kidlitthesedays at bookriot.com. Nicole, do you want to start us off?
1: Yeah. So something I wanted to talk about, and this is the frame that I was thinking about for the Book Talk se- segment, is a quote by uh, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, who is the person who originated the term intersectionality. Um, And she says that social justice is the work of narrative reconstruction. And that idea that social justice is narrative reconstruction is so compelling to me um, because we have all been We've learned narratives that are incorrect, narratives that have erased people, whole people, you know, narratives that have erased whole cultures and genocide and things like that. And so I think it's really, 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 really important for us as the people, the adults in the lives of children to help recreate narratives in our own minds so that we can help teach recreated narratives to children. And I, I wanted to just highlight two books that are for adults, Making Our Way Home, The Great Migration. And The Black American Dream by Blair Imani and illustrated by Rochelle Baker. And another one by Blair Imani is Modern Her Story, Stories of Women and Non-binary People Rewriting History, written by Blair Imani and illustrated by Monique Lay. And I, I just want to highlight those because we have to create a different understanding of what history has been in order to share that, that uh, reconstructed history with children And so those are adult books, but one I want to highlight for children is The Voice of Freedom, which is Fannie Lou Hamer and the Spirit of the Civil Rights Movement. And it's by Carol Boston Weatherford, and it's illustrated by Akua Holmes. And um, I love that book because even though it highlights an individual, Fannie Lou Hamer, it talks about her work in a context of a movement, which is what we're in right now. We're in a moment of movement. And it talks about how she is one person in a larger civil rights movement. And I think that Sometimes when kids are taught civil rights in school, they learn Martin Luther King and they learn Mar- Malcolm X. And it's as if those, those two men just did everything by themselves. And I think um, it's really important to understand how many people um, helped bring civil rights forward. Um, and so I just wanted to highlight that book.
0: I think that's a beautifully illustrated book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one that Coretta Scott King when it came out. It's, it's a fantastic and powerful story. Uh, beautiful to lead with that one. I want to lead with, this book is Anti-Racist. 20 Lessons on How to Wake Up, Take Action, and Do the Work. It's by Tiffany Jewell. It's illustrated by Aurelia Durand. And um, this is a book for, I'm going to say, kids maybe like nine and up but it is broken into 20 chapters that speak in a teaching voice directly to children on what it means to be anti-racist and what that work looks like. The chapters are broken into four different sections, waking up understanding and growing into my identities, opening the window, making sense of the world, choosing my path, taking action and responding to racism and holding the door open. Working in Solidarity Against Racism. It's a powerful book. Um, Adults, I think, have a lot to gain from reading it, as well as children reading it. Um, And because it's broken into these 20 short chapters, it ends up being a really useful and powerful tool that we can take in turn, take week by week, take day by day with students uh, or with our own children, uh, it's got actionable lessons at the end of each uh, segment that I find are are really helpful with journaling and reflecting and, and taking action. It's a beautiful book.
1: I love it. Um, my next book is Ruth and the Green Book, and it's by Calvin Alexander Ramsey with Gwen Strauss. And it's illustrated by Floyd Cooper. And I picked this one. It's about a young girl and her family and her cute little bear that she's hugging the whole way. That they go on this journey through the South and they have to use the Green Book. And for those who are not familiar and have watched the very bad movie that is, is not about the actual Green Book. Um, <laughs> the Green Book was this, this book that was created by black people during Jim Crow so that they could navigate safely across the country and go from safe town to safe town, safe restaurant to safe restaurant in a time when they were being actively hunted and and beaten and and hurt by the Jim Crow system and individuals who were, were supporting the Jim Crow system, white people. Um, and so I like this book because it is it just tells the story of one girl and one family. But I think you could have a conversation with kids about what the Jim Crow South actually looked like, which you don't get in your regular history class. You get a very flattened version of what a Jim Crow South looked like. And, and it also talks about the resilience and brilliance of black people to have even created this green book, right? That they shared amongst themselves that was really unknown to white people. Um, I just think it's such a great alternate history to give.
0: So, I think that there's a lot that white people need to be educated on with the green book. Mm -hmm. Um, And just the implications of what it meant also to identify black owned or black friendly businesses and how that in turn had backlash to make places targets. And um, that's a, that's a wonderful picture book. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And to have Floyd Cooper, come on. yeah, So beautiful. (laughs) so Uh, So, so let's talk about a book that you and I have been, (laughs) <laughs> talking about what Just
1: this is the third episode <laughs> weekly that's right
0: um welcome to the woke a young poet's called to justice podcast um, <laughs> but seriously people if you have not seen this picture book yet by mahogany l brown also written with uh with the help of elizabeth Acevedo and olivia gatwood woke a young poet's call to justice is a picture book in verse that takes on all different aspects of justice across the board from disability to intersectionality, to race, to civil rights leaders. It is a beautiful, wonderful picture book. And I actually interviewed Mahogany on the children's book podcast. And I loved um, that. She said, I've never heard a poetry book described this way. She said, this is a book that is meant to be read by multiple voices, by many voices. Can you believe that a, vo- oh, a book gorgeous. with the intention of not being read by a reader, but a chorus of readers? So I want yes. when people pick this up, I want them to think about that. I want them to think about reading it together. Yeah. Okay. The um, Mahogany also did Woke Baby, a picture book, a uh, board book. Well, I guess it was written as a picture book, um, but for young children. And it's also illustrated by Theodore Taylor the third. Both of these books are... So uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a book that I think is on your and my hearts. Yes. We're going to be championing that book for a while. That's, yeah. that's a beautiful one. It's so good. Do you have others you want to share? Because I know you know that I have been carrying a handful of books. I know you have just- this
1: list. I want to let you go. I think my only note is there are lots of um, books that highlight Black um, his- like hi- heroes right throughout history. And there's a reason mm. I'm not highlighting them right now because I think it's important for us to create a different narrative around Black history. Um, it, it's not just these exceptional people, right? Movements are created by everyday people whose names you'll never know. And um, I think that's incredible to think about. And you know, someone may never know my name in this movement, but I walked in these protests, right? And my body was counted amongst all of the other people who have been protesting this week. And that is what a movement is. It is not just the heroes' names that we know, but it is all of us pushing an anti-racist world. And so that is why I'm not picking children's books that highlight an individual person. so Or lots of books that highlight an individual person.
0: I think that um, in thinking about that as well, I don't just want to talk about children's literature. There's a lot of books that, that we adults can and should be reading. And we're hearing a lot of reports on online that these books are sold out because there was such a rush on getting these books, you know, order them, get them on ebook, get them as audiobooks. books. Um, you can find many, many, many lists if you only go and Google what books about anti-racism are out there. There are many, many beautiful, wonderful books. Um, focusing on books for children Uh, The next I want to highlight, another one that I've shared here before. I think all of these are ones I've shared here before, which is fine, is Hands Up by Brianna J. McDaniel. It's illustrated by Shane W. Evans. It's a picture book that seeks to take back that racially charged phrase that the police call out and instead reframe it in all of the different ways we reach our hands up for help, for assistance, for independence. Uh together in choirs in in teams on on in sports um things like that in victory and as well as in protest there's a beautiful wonderful book that comes from protest uh and i think speaks beautifully to the power that we have to use our words to change things
1: yeah. And hands up was the chant that we were saying at protests after Michael Brown was killed, right? Hands up, don't shoot. Yeah. That was a part of the protest.
0: Yeah. The, um, there's a picture book that is a really, really hard one to share in schools. And I think it's hard because we don't talk about this, right? And that is not my idea. A Book of Whiteness by Anastasia Higginbottom. I don't know this one. Oh boy. I'm talking <laughs> about a book that you don't know, Nicole. I don't That's know so this... rad. Oh my goodness. I don't know this one. This is a book about engaging in talks about racism and whiteness and how whiteness is 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 a problem and is mm-hmm. everybody's problem and how we have to look critically at how news is given to us Mm -hmm. and how we talk to one another about things that are happening, whether we turn our heads and don't face what's happening or whether we engage in conversations. It's a beautiful, wonderful, powerful book. And I find in particular that this white author speaking to an audience in this case, speaking to a an audience of white people, when you're reading this as a white person, um, it is particularly effective to read about whiteness and white supremacy and how it was not our idea, but it is our problem. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a powerful one. Yeah. Ooh ooh! I can't wait for Thanks. you to read that. And, yeah. and um, oh yeah, oh that's good. Um, let me keep going. Um, I haven't read this yet because it's not out. It comes out right after we published this episode, but Ibram Kendi, um, who wrote how to be anti-racist, the the book for adults um, has a picture book called anti-racist baby coming out. And it's uh, illustrated by Ashley Lukashevsky and uh, the cover looks awesome. Can't it looks adorable.
1: It. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Totally. Totally looks great. Really can't wait to read it. Um, <laughs> but now let me get into the books that I cannot stop handing to people yes. and And really saying, you know, this is, these are by authors that see our children. And so, books that are seeing our children and engaging in talks of microaggression and racism and social justice in a way that we can step into them as readers of any age are powerful. So, I've talked about What Lane by Tori Maldonado. This is a book, a middle grade novel about a child who um, Who has to figure out where he belongs in this world based on how other people are treating him, um, based on actions of, of racist friends or people he thought were friends, but also what it means to stay in your lane, what that phrase means, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what it means to ask what lane. It also has a character in this book that Tori has written to show what it looks like for white people to stand up against white supremacy. And I thought that is doing something different as well. Yes. Demonstrating that it is not the burden again of people of color. It is not the burden of black people to stand up against whiteness and white supremacy. That is our problem as white people. It's it's a wonderful book and it's uh, Tori writes books that are, super fast, super concise. I think it clocks in at like 115 pages or something. Love it is it. a powerhouse novel and wonderful audiobook too. Um, I want to share one of my favorite books ever published for children, which is We Rise, We Resist, We Raise Our Voices. It's a book edited by Wade Hudson and Cheryl Willis Hudson. It's got voices from all over um all over the Kidlet community. Speaking to injustice, speaking to how we can use our voices to protest and affect change. It's beautiful. It's powerful. I have read this book to excerpts of this book to kindergartners through fifth graders. It won our mock Coretta Scott King the year that that it was included. It is a powerful, powerful book. Also, these
1: illustrations are gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And you can turn
0: to any page and you're landing in something solid and powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanna share Black Brother, Black Brother, the brand new book yeah. by author Jewel Parker Rhodes, who we also know from writing Ghost Boys. Um, this is a book about uh, two brothers who, uh, one is dark skin and one is light skin. They have uh, a white father who I believe is Irish. Um, and a black mother, and the boy from the outset, his name's Dante, from the very first chapter, um, he uh, is arrested for something that happens at school that is little more than raising his voice, questioning why he was being punished by the teacher. Uh, It's a book about the um, school-to-prison pipeline, Mm -hmm. as well as it's also a book about fencing and it's also a book about colorism it's a book about many many different things uh it's a book about um alexander Dumas um writing the three musketeers as a black man um whose father was one of the greatest fencers in all of all of the country um a Black man, just a powerful, powerful novel that um, I would rather just sit and read the entire book right now to you, <laughs> but we don't have time. So I'm going to end. I'm feeling like super uncomfortable doing all the book talking no, here. No, I think it's great.
1: But I think I, I want to highlight, because we're going to, this is not our last anti-racist episode, right? Oh, good,
0: yeah. And
1: so I think, I love this, the theme of the school to prison pipeline that shows up in Black Brother, Black Brother because I think one thing that I've I've heard my friends in the education community wrestle with right now is that the violence that we are seeing in the street, right, police violence against Black bodies, is often replicated in the school, right, um, and not just you know it's the school to prison pipeline, but it's also the ways in which Black children in schools get punished disproportionate to their peers, right? How oh, yeah. resistance from Black children. Is seen as aggression, and it's seen as precociousness and brilliance and critical thought from white children. And so, I think that's a theme that I, I'm, I'm glad that we're ending on because that's you know that's a segue into another a future conversation about anti-racism um, yeah. and how it appears in all, in in these everyday ways in our lives.
0: Well, then I think to cap us off with books, I'll end with 13 Ways of Looking at a Black Boy" by author Tony Medina. It's illustrated by a number of different illustrators, including Javaka Steptoe and R. Gregory Christie. These are short poems recognizing different children, different boys. Um, It's a beautiful book, and it challenges presuppositions and stereotypes and uh, gave me a lot to think about. When I thought about how I think about my black boys Mm -hmm. so um on that note thank you for joining us today and thank you for this conversation nicole
1: yes thank you matthew
0: as always listeners we would love your feedback on this podcast and we always appreciate a rating on apple podcasts when you do that you also help other people find us you can find me matthew winner at matthew winner on twitter
1: And you can find me, Nicole Young, tweeting very radical things right now on Twitter at Hitty Bitty NY.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Love it. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you'd like to hear next on the show. On that note, may your coming days be storied and may those good stories keep on coming.